Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. 2 Samuel 11, we've been in a series looking at the life of David. And we've been learning what made King David the greatest king in Israel's history, a great worship leader, and a man after God's own heart, and then the line, the family line who brings Jesus into the world. And we've been really seeing what made him this great person so that we could emulate our lives like that, so we can be people that bring Jesus into the world, people that have a heart after God, people that uh, are influential and impactful in the things that God has called us to do. And so far, David has been a great example to us. Even when he makes mistakes, he's been quick to go back to God's word and adjust. Today, he's going to continue to be a good example for us, but he's going to be a good example of a bad example. This is the story of David's biggest blunder. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. And David's life is so interesting because so often we see him as the hero, right? David and Goliath. And most of his life is usually paired with something. David and King Saul, David and Goliath. And usually he's the hero. And then in this story, David and Bathsheba, all of us, if, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, this is like, ah. It's one of those stories that, that it would probably be better off for the, the, the legacy of David if it was left out of the Bible. And yet, that's not how the Bible works. The Bible is clear. It shows us humans are, are broken. Humans are failures. Even our best, like King David, fall short. It's one of the things that makes Jesus so amazing and such a breath of fresh air when you're going through the Bible is because you finally meet a person and a character who's flawless, who's perfect, who can actually come in and take away the sins of the world. And so this story is sort of a, it's a mark on the reputation of David. So this, tonight we're going to learn this. This is my message title. How to ruin your life and legacy. I've got three points tonight on how to ruin your life and legacy. All right, 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's 27 verses, so buckle up, all right? Everybody buckle up. Come on, let's see. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. I'll read it to you because um, it's, it's an interesting story. All right. It says this. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and, the, and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. She came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David said to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war, the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the kings followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah didn't go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? 
And Uriah said to David, The ark and, the, and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord jo, Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You guys following so far? Is this making sense? You're with me? Okay. All right. Verse 12. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also and tomorrow, and I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David had called him, he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Okay? So you guys are you're following the story, right? David sees this woman. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. Then he hears about uh, the fact that, or he already knew about it, but then Uriah comes back from battle. He's trying to cover it up. He brings Uriah back to his house. He's like, all right, go home. He doesn't go home. He brings him over again. He gets him drunk. He says, oh, go, go home. He doesn't go home. And he's like, I got to deal with this guy. So he gives him a letter. He says, take this back to Joab, the commander of the army. So Uriah's got the letter. He goes to Joab, and it says this. Verse 15, and he wrote in the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Uriah is carrying this letter. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises, he said to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot you from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, some name? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone of him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near to the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David and all Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, uh, surely the men prevailed against us, blah, 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 blah. Um, verse 25, then David said to the messengers, thus you shall say to Joab, don't let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, so encourage him. When the wife of Uriah had heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now and uh, help us to apply it and understand, God, who you are, your heart, and uh, how we can adjust and learn from this example. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we think a lot about our life, what we're going to do with it, if we're going to make an impact, if our life has a purpose or a plan. I think these are questions we all at least some way ask ourselves. We ask maybe, what am, I, what am I doing? What's my future? What am I going to do with my life? I think that's probably the most uh, elementary of the question that we ask. What am I going to do with my life? Right, like when we're young, like when we're in elementary school, and some like there's like parent, like a I don't know show and tell day or something like that, and and a dad comes in, and it's like I'm I'm a firefighter. And you're like that's what I'm gonna do with my life, 
Or, or like this, so there's usually like when you're young, we're confident, we're sure, like I figured it out. And then as you get older and you have to go through school and you realize, man, it's a lot of work to be a firefighter or an astronaut or something like that. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. What is the purpose of my life? And I think these are questions we all ask ourselves. Where am I going? Where is this all headed? And then deeper than that, beyond what we do, am I going to make an impact? Is my life going to actually mean something? Can I go to bed each night satisfied not only with what I do, but who I am and the people that I impact? And I think these are questions we ask ourselves. Why am I here? What's the meaning of all of this? Is my life making a difference? And let me encourage you that God has a plan for your life. We like to say that God has made you on purpose for a purpose, to walk with him, to know him, to experience who he is personally for you, but then also to participate in the work that he's doing right here in our backyard and in the world beyond. God has a plan for your life, and we think about that a lot. But we don't think too much about how quickly we can ruin what God wants to do in us and through us. David teaches us in the story how we can very quickly and very simply ruin our life and our legacy. And I think we learn three very key things about how to ruin our lives. All right? So three points on how to ruin your life. You ready for them? This is like the anti-message. Three points on how to ruin your life. Number one, hang out where you don't belong. You want to ruin your life, hang out where you don't belong. The story begins with a very telling description of what David was doing. Verse 1, it says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time, listen, when kings go out to battle. What was David? Where should he be? He wasn't, in, he wasn't out to battle, right? This was the season, this was the time when, David go, when kings go out to battle and says that David sent people out to battle, but David remained at Jerusalem. This is a red flag. This is a problem. Kings are supposed to be out to battle, and David's not where he's supposed to be. This stands in contrast in, in, a, in something that happened just a few chapters before. In chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, we, we touched on it last week, but we're told that God had given David rest from all of his enemies. And while David was in the palace, after God had given him rest from all his enemies, that God gave David a promise. And the promise was that David, that his descendant would be the king of kings and the savior of the world. God gave David a promise. And this promise happened when David was in the palace, when he was supposed to be in the palace. You with me? So God had given rest from all of the enemies to David. David's in the palace. He's where he's supposed to be. And this promise followed the fact that David was where he was supposed to be. Now fast forward just a few chapters into chapter 11. We're told that David's not where he's supposed to be. And what happens? Well, a whole bunch of stuff happens. Stuff that he had no business getting himself involved in. This time, David's not where he's supposed to be, or more specifically, he's not doing what he's called to be doing. If you're a king, and this is the time where kings are supposed to lead the armies into battle, and you're not in battle, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. 
Listen, when you are where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to be doing, the right doors will open. We don't think too much about who we hang out with or where we go or what we do other than we don't want to be bored. Right? That's kind of like, is it going to be boring? Okay, who's going to be there? All right, let's do it. That's kind of the extent of what we think about. But when you're in the wrong place with the wrong people, it, it will almost always lead to the wrong things. The wrong place with the wrong people almost always leads to the wrong things. And if you want to ruin what God has for you, if you want to compromise the plans and the calling that God has on your life, don't do what you're called to do. If you're like, do you know what I want to do? I want to ruin my life and legacy. I want to never walk in the plans that God has for me. Then don't do what you're called to do. Well, there's probably a good follow-up question. What am I called to do? That's kind of the whole thing. How do I know? Well, I can tell you, number one, you're called to be faithful where you're at. You're called to be faithful where you're at. Faithfulness in the little things open doors for faithfulness in big things. You're called to serve God and to be faithful to him in whatever season you're in. And one of the ways you can keep yourself from walking in and experiencing the fullness of what God has for your life is by not being faithful with what's in front of you right now. Who are the people that are, that are around you that God's called you to impact? How are you supposed to obey and listen to God's word? How are you supposed to apply that to your life? What are the opportunities that God's given you uniquely, uh, different than everybody else in the room, that God wants to use your life to bring him glory and to impact the people around you? How can you be faithful right now? But if you don't want to walk in your calling, if you want to ruin your life and legacy, don't do what God's called you to do. The second thing, way we ruin our life and calling, number two, is by following your heart. Number two, you ruin your life and calling by following your heart. This is a common piece of advice in our world today. It's almost so common that it's like laughable. Right, like this to me is like the most cringe statement you could possibly say other than your youth pastor saying cringe statement that you could possibly say. But following your heart, it just seems, it seems like a joke to me and yet it is the common sort of advice you hear. Follow your gut or your heart or trust your gut or do what makes you happy or live your truth. And this is the exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. The exact opposite of what the Bible teaches. If you're wondering where the idea of following your heart came from, it did not come from the Bible. In fact, listen to the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Another translation says desperately sick. No one can know it or who can know it. The heart is, is deceitful above all things. What does deceitful mean? It means it's playing tricks on you. It means it says one thing and does another. It means it's lying. It's not honest. He says the heart is deceitful. It's playing a trick on you and it's impossible to know. That's the heart. And yet the common sort of advice for the day is to follow your heart. Following your heart or your emotions or your desires will lead you away from God and into trouble. And this is what David does. There are three powerful words that describe David's actions in this chapter. Number one, we're told that David beheld. 
This is one of the words that describe David's action. It says that David, when he was supposed to be in battle, got up in the middle of the night. He walks out on his, like, terrace or whatever kings have. He's supposed to be sleeping. He's supposed to be in battle. And he walks out and he says that, it says that he sees a woman bathing on her roof and that she was beautiful to behold. When David saw Bathsheba on the roof, he didn't just notice or glance at her. We're told that he beheld her. He took it in and allowed what he saw to influence his feelings and desires. He allowed what he saw to influence his feelings and desires. David didn't just walk into something and look away. He wasn't like, whoop, ah. That wasn't the experience. It's a, he, he allowed his mind and his heart and his desire to settle on something he shouldn't have seen. He allowed his feelings, listen to me, settle on something that he shouldn't have seen. What are you seeing? How are you allowing what you see to impact your desires? This could be lustful things. This could also be covetous things. Maybe it's the people you follow on social media. Your, 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 your heart is settling on something that you shouldn't be seeing. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's how they're living or what they're doing or, or, or what they're saying or what they're listening to or how they're just experiencing their life. And your eyes are settling on something. Your heart is settling on something that you shouldn't even be seeing. And that impacts how you behave, how you act, how you react. But not only did he behold something, we're also told that he inquired. Right? He saw something. She was beautiful to behold. And then he goes and finds somebody in his palace and he says, hey, who's, who's that girl that I uh, saw bathing on a roof? I don't know if he said that, but who, who's, that, who's that girl? When he saw her, he asked around about who she was. But what he got back was her name and her relationship status, right? That's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. You know, the guy that's a part of your army. In fact, he is considered one of David's mighty men. So not only did he serve on David's army, but he was one of David's closest group that fought with him. So they said, hey, yeah, that's Bathsheba. The wife of Uriah, the Hittite, your buddy, right? Like, what do you need me to say? How much detail do you need me to go into? He inquired about her and he got an answer. It should have been definitely over with by then. Right? In a, in a moment, in a fleeting moment, he sees something he shouldn't have seen and he allows his heart and his mind to settle on it. Okay. Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have dwelt there. I, I, I shouldn't have stayed there. Would you help me not do that again? He inquires, hey, who is, who is that? Oh, that's Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. It should have ended there, but it doesn't. Not only did he inquire about her, we're told that he, number three, took her. David saw something he shouldn't have seen, found out that she was married, and then took her to himself. It is possible to see something you shouldn't see and not sin. But when you stop and allow those sights to become desires, it leads to sin. But then David had a second chance to get out, 
right? He, he inquires and realizes who she was, but he pushed through that and allowed his desires to continue to drive him. David then finally acted and took something that didn't belong to him, all because he allowed his heart and emotions drive him. Notice this began when he was alone, late at night, and being where he shouldn't be. We fight the impulse to follow our heart by obeying God's word, being around the right people, and listening to godly advice. This stemmed out of him not being where he's supposed to be, staying up way too late, allowing himself to compromise, and then letting that desire and that emotion leading him to action. Listen, it is so important that you protect and guard your heart. That you don't put yourself in compromising positions. You don't dwell on things that you shouldn't see. And you don't act on desires that are contrary or in contradiction to God's word. But if you want to ruin your life, follow your heart. If you, want to, if you want to end up like David, where you read this story and you're like, how is this even in the Bible? This is so messed up. This guy, not only did he do something he shouldn't do, he murdered the guy. We haven't even got to that part of that story. He murdered the guy to cover it up. Then he married her. It's like, what is wrong with him? Right? Where did it start? Being in the wrong place, allowing his heart to lead. You think like, oh, that would never happen to me. I would never get that far off. I would never allow circumstances like that to drive me. Put yourself in the wrong place. Follow your heart. It will, it will always lead you to where you don't want to go. Number three, how to ruin your life. Cover up sin rather than confess it. You want to ruin your life? Cover up sin rather than confess it. David knows that what he's doing and what he's done is wrong. So he does a series of things to try to cover it up. Pretty elaborate, right? First, he's like, bring Uriah over. That takes some guts, man, right? You just, you just took this guy's wife and you're like, yeah, invite him over for dinner. Like, you're nuts. You're crazy. So he says, bring him over. He tried to get Uriah to come home so that he would go home to his wife so he would think that the child was his own. Even going as far to get him drunk to, to, so he would just uh, 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 like sort of lose inhibition and go home and be with his wife. He then, in order to cover it up, causes Uriah to get killed in battle. So then that David would look like a hero for marrying the widow of one of his soldiers. All of this was an attempt to cover up sin. Man, I think it's, it's kind of shocking the lengths that we'll go through to try to not get caught when we did something bad. Right? The lies that we'll craft... <laughs> The, 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 the people we will involve, the sort of web of craziness, the lengths that we will go through to cover up and not get caught for something we've done. And we often think that the best way to get out of trouble is to cover up our sins. But listen to me, sin does its most damage in the dark. Do you want to hear a trick on how to not get caught for sin? Ready? Here's my trick for you on how to not get caught for sin. Confess it. You want to not get caught? Confess it. I think one of the things that kills us is the guilt of our own sin building up inside of it. You want to release that guilt? Confess it. 
Yet so often we think that, oh my gosh, if I confess it, my life would be over. Sin does its most damage in the dark. When you hide it and when you bury it, the guilt will eat you alive. But confessing it, bringing it to the light actually allows you to find freedom and victory over the thing you're struggling with. And so when the enemy tells you, no, just bury it, you can figure it out, you can overcome it, you don't need to tell anybody about it, it will eat you alive. You want to find freedom? Tell somebody about it. You want to find freedom? Find somebody you trust. Find somebody that will encourage you in the things of God and tell them, hey, I've been struggling. Confess it. You want to not get caught? Confess it. It's better off to get grounded or punished for your mistakes than to live with the guilt of it. Worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to close. In every one of these instances, David had opportunity to overcome the desire and get out of the situation, right? In every, in every one of these instances, he could have gone back to bed, number one, right? Like, oh, that was weird. I'm going back to sleep. Why is she bathing on a roof in the middle of the night? This is so strange. I'm going back to bed. He could allow the answer to cause him to stop, Right? Hey, who is that? Oh, that's, that's Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah. Oh, okay. Whoa, okay. All right. Good night. Even after he failed, he could have confessed and faced the consequences, but still found forgiveness. And yet, instead, he covers it up, murder, all of these things. When we're struggling with sin, we always have a chance to overcome and get away. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Listen, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That no temptation has overtaken you except for that which is common for man. In other words, other people have dealt with the same temptation you have and have overcome it. And, it says, God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And then this is the key. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. I think oftentimes when we're struggling or we, we, there's something that we know is wrong and yet we want to do it anyways, we usually, in order uh, uh, to, to do that thing that we know we shouldn't do, we have to ignore exit signs. Like, usually there's like an exit that's like, hey, you, could, you don't have to go over there. You don't have to text them back. You don't have to follow that person on Instagram. Like, you, you don't have to find yourself alone in that situation. You can leave your phone in the living room when you go to bed at night. Like there's, there's so many exit signs that we have to ignore often on our, on our path to giving into temptation. And this is God's faithful. He's not going to tempt you beyond, or he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And there will always be a way to escape. Let me encourage you tonight that whatever you find yourself struggling with, whatever the, the life is, maybe, maybe it's the desire to follow your heart 
Maybe it's, maybe it's the putting yourself in places you shouldn't be. Maybe it's the fact that you, you failed and you just keep covering it up and you're, you're unwilling to confess it and find freedom from it. Or maybe it's something else. Can I encourage you that, that we can find we can find freedom tonight. We can overcome it. And it's not, this, this isn't a message to say like, okay, just, just do enough practical things and you won't sin anymore. This is a message that says you need to yield to the Holy Spirit. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. Trust in his way. Trust in his plan. And set up things in your life that help you go in the direction of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's combined, right? It's trust in Jesus. It's yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to empower you to overcome. And then set up boundaries. Set up ways that will allow for you to find victory. Why? Well, because we don't want to ruin our life and legacy. Shane's going to preach a message next week on the repentance part of this. There's a second part. David's life isn't over. But can I tell you that for the rest of David's life and for the kingdom of Israel from this point on will be fractured as a result of this mistake. He'll never be the same. God redeems it. God transforms both David and uh, he, he brings something beautiful out of it. And, and God's faithfulness remains the same. But David's life and his legacy is definitely marred as a result of this decision. There are absolutely second chances. God's not done with you even if you fail, even if, even if <laughs> your life is as bad as David's and you fail as bad as David's, right? Still, the Bible's record of, of David is that he was a man after God's own heart. That still Jesus is the son of David. The, the, even after, there are second chances because of Jesus. But let me tell you, it was fractured as a result. And you have opportunity tonight to not ruin your life and legacy. Say, I'm, I'm not going to do those things. Instead, I'm going to put myself where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to walk in my calling. I'm not going to follow my heart. I'm going to follow God's word. I'm going to trust in what his word says, and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to be quick when I fail to get back up, to confess, and to move forward, trusting that God's not done with me yet. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a calling on your life, and we don't want to waste it. We don't want to miss it. We want to be people that grow and walk and experience all that he has for us.